Mark chapter 11. Um, We're going to skip a few verses, so it's going to be verses 1 to 3, then 7 to 10, and then 15 to 18. So Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. As I was preparing today, ooh, um, I came through a story that I would like to share with you, and it's, you cannot please the people all the time. An old fable that has passed down for, from, for generation tells about an elderly man who was traveling with a boy and a donkey. As they walked through a village, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking, walking behind. The townspeople said the old man was a fool for not riding. So to please them, he climbed on the animal's back. Now, when they came to the next village, the people said to the old man, you're cruel to let the child walk while you enjoy the ride. So to please them, he got off and set the boy on the animal's back and continued on his way. On the third village, the people accused the child for being lazy, for making the old man walk, and suggested, and this suggestion was made that they both ride on the donkey. So the man climbed on and set off again In the fourth village, the townspeople were indignant at the cruelty to the donkey because he was made to carry two people. The frustrated man was seen carrying the donkey on his back. (laughs) 
you cannot please the people <laughs> all of the time. Now, to the triumphant entry. Up to this point, Jesus has veiled his identity. You would remember when he healed Jairus' daughter and rose Jairus' daughter from the dead, he says, do not tell anyone. At the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah appeared to him to speak about his departure from the world, on that occasion, he said to his disciples, do not tell anyone. Even when Jesus healed and cast out demons from people, the demons would cry out and say, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Jesus silenced them, hushed them, because he did not want anyone to know who he was. You would remember when he fed the 5,000 with the two loaves of bread and fishes, the people wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king so that he will have a showdown with the Romans. But it was not Jesus' time. It was not his hour. He just walked in their midst. But on this occasion, Jesus chose to reveal who he was. He was presenting himself as Messiah. And the people gave him a hero's welcome. They celebrated him. They jubilated at his coming. Let me ask you, do people celebrate when you join their team? Or do they want to see the back of you? Is there a capstone that reads, stay away from this individual, trouble comes? Or do people rejoice? Are they saddened when you leave them? Because you see, the Bible tells us of Jesus, the people rejoice, and the Bible records that how Jesus Christ of Nazareth went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Is God with you, and do people celebrate you? Or would people rather wish to see the back of you? But here we see the people rejoiced. And how did they rejoice at Jesus' coming? And we are told that the people gave him a royal welcome. They laid their robes. And in doing that, that was a symbol of them saying to the Lord that they were submitting to his rule. They recognized his authority, his right to rule and reign over them. Biblical scholars tells us that the robe was also a symbol of shelter, to shelter them from their cold, like what you do when you wear your coat in a cold winter's day. So it was a symbol of comfort. It was a symbol of their possession. They were willing to lay down all they had at the master's feet. Friends, the road at here sometimes is not easy. Sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it is not pleasant. Sometimes it is not to our liking. 
you all know everyone is allowed to speak freely in their house. You can say what you want freely in your own house. But sometimes in some churches, God is not allowed to speak freely in his house. And because the preacher preaches a message that is challenging, that will inconvenience us, guess what? Some folks will pack up their bags and move to another church where God cannot speak freely in his house. But you see, the people were willing to be inconvenient. They laid all this at the master's feet. Now, we are British, aren't we? We understand this, don't we? We wait on the queen and not the queen waiting on us. At the Golden Jubilee, the queen came out in her warm, heated Bentley car whilst her subjects were outside in the cold. <laughs> she was sheltered. They were inconvenienced. But it seems it's only in Christianity King Jesus must walk and march all the way to Calvary and be crucified whilst his subject expects to be sheltered and not inconvenienced. Now, I'm not saying all Christians believe that, but some do. And do you know what Paul says? Paul says, endure hardship as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see in this passage, the people were willing to lay down their garment as a symbol of their possession because no price is too great for the master. Beacon Church, are you willing to lay down your possession? Are you willing to lay down your comfort? Are you willing to be inconvenienced because the way to the cross sometimes is not easy? But as you all know, as the hymn writer tells us and reminds us, solid joy and lasting treasures, none but Zion children know. The people welcome Christ. And how did they welcome him again? They took their branches. And you would know the branches is a, sign, a symbol for victory. A symbol of rejoicing, a symbol of celebration. It's akin to our modern day when you go to football um, stands, when you see football supporters, they are waving their flag, they are saying, we are proud to be identified to our team, our team, we are on the winning side, we will win a victorious battle today. In their mind, they had independence. Jesus was going to free them from Roman occupation. This was Passover, by the way, just as Moses had his showdown with Pharaoh and won a, deci a decisive battle. This is Jesus, one greater than Moses, David's greater son. In their minds, Victory was certain. Jesus, the miraculous worker who had healed people of their diseases, was in town, and people celebrated his coming. 
because they thought he was going to free them from Roman rule. Yes, if the people of God were oppressed, it was due to the fact that they were oppressed because of sin. And Jesus was going to free them, but by a different means. It was going to be via the cross. Before the glory must come the cross. Before celebration must come pain and death. But the people failed to see that. Jesus was riding on a donkey. Now, what does it mean by he was riding on a donkey? His appearance was without pomp, without circumstance, without fanfare. In fact, it was a low-key affair. Matthew's account tells us that your king comes riding humbly on a donkey. The next translation says, your king appears unassuming riding on a donkey. Whilst the NIV, the nearly infallible version says, <laughs> your king comes riding gently on a donkey. It means that his rule will be gentle. He was not going to come like others and impose his rule, but he will rule gently. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. You remember that passage in the book of Matthew? Come ye unto me, thy heavenly day and burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will also remember at Passover time, after, before he ate the meal, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Him being the king of all was willing to humble himself and to serve. He came to serve rather than being served. And this is now one of the key elements of Christian leadership. We hold their servant leadership, which must be humble. We pay lip service to it, but in reality, we prefer the warlike heroes. We prefer people that come charging in chariots and horses. But Jesus Christ was fulfilling prophecy because God had revealed that he would go to the cross and he would die on the cross to atone for your sins and my sins. But the people did not say it that way. And what was the response of the religious leaders. What was the response of the Pharisee? It was one of rejection. They rejected Jesus because he did not fit the part. He did not measure up to their expectation of who Messiah would be. After all, he was born in a stable. And they would reason this way, you're telling me that Queen Elizabeth, with all the palaces at her disposal, with all the hospital in England at her disposal, she gave birth to her firstborn child, Prince Charles, in a stable? Ridiculous. 
And who did the angel announce Jesus appearing? Shepherds. Do you know in ancient Israel, shepherds' testimony were not acceptable in any court of law? These were guys of unscrupulous characters which no one paid or took seriously in Israel. Humble individuals, again. Ah, who was his mom? A Virgin Mary. Really? Really? Come on. I know Ben and Emma, they are my friends, and please do not misunderstand me. Do not read into what I'm going to say. But can you imagine? Emma walks to Ben and says to Ben, an angel of the Lord appears to me and says to me that you will give birth to a son and he will be the son of God. And do you know what Ben's response will be? I know I was born in the night, but not last night. <laughs> a ridiculous story. And you would remember her account. She describes herself as a humble individual. Not only that, where is Jesus from? Nazareth, of all places. Can anything good, anything worthwhile, abiding come out of Nazareth? Look, Jesus the Nazarene in scum. Even Jesus' home people did not take him seriously. He even says of himself, a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. Scandals of all scandals. This is Jesus now presenting himself officially as a king to the Jewish people. Can you imagine at the Queen's Golden Jubilee when all the world's media, media are present, Queen Elizabeth rides out of Buckingham Palace on a bicycle? <laughs> Ridiculous. Jesus just did not fit the part. And this was history repeating itself in a different form. Because you see, if the religious leader had paid attention to the hymn that was sung during Passover, they would have understood. The stone which the builder has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. You would also remember the Old Testament story of David. When God told Samuel to go anoint him a king. And Samuel was sent into the house of Jesse. And Jesse brought all his sons out. David was not even considered. What was he? He was a shepherd's boy. And the prophet went line upon line, very impressive characters. Outwardly, they looked the part. They could talk the talk. They had the height. They had the look. They were the Oxford and your Cambridge guys. But David, a shepherd's boy, he wasn't even considered by his own family. And do you know what God says on that occasion? 
Man looks at the outward part, but I see the heart. And this is how Paul puts it. We should know no one after the flesh. Well, since you guys, you're more NIV folks, we should not measure individuals by worldly standards. We should not judge by worldly standards. That's the point. Now I can tell. I could also illustrate this from the life of Paul. But time does not permit me. <laughs> I know you guys think I'm joking. But if you dare me, I'm prepared <laughs> to press on. I'm prepared to press on. Of Paul, they said, listen to this. This is church. Of Paul, they said, he had no presence. They said of him, his speech was contemptible. Now, it's one thing if you're good looking and you cannot speak, but it's one thing if you're ugly and you cannot speak. They said he had no presence. He was homely. He was not like the super apostles. And because of that, they rejected him. They rejected his message. Read it for yourself in 2 Corinthians. And Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come with persuasive words of man's wisdom. That's what he said. And you can also see this applicable within Christianity. Coming home, I believe. This is a Christian sister praying to God. I want a husband. I want my Prince Charming. And God sends you one that comes riding on a donkey. <laughs> and you say, God, I do not want a prince that comes riding on London transport. I want one that rides on the Mercedes. What is my point? God is the God of those who ride on London transport. That's how I met Karen. I was <laughs> riding on London. <laughs> God is the God of those who ride on London transport. And he's also the God of those who ride on Mercedes. If God blesses you with a partner that rides a Mercedes, by all means, embrace it. But if God <laughs> blesses you with one that rides on a bicycle, then embrace it. Let us allow God to be God. God's choice does not have to meet our own preconceived ideas. He is God. He does as he pleases and he consults no one. Let me press on. Now, what was Jesus' response to all this? You see, though the crowd cheered him, though the crowd praised him, Jesus was not moved from his God-given mission. I mean, the crowd affirmed him. The crowd welcomed him as a hero. He was popular. I mean, King Jesus, have you not read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people. 
But Jesus stuck to his God-given mission. He was not swayed by the pressure of the people. And this is how Jesus puts it in the Gospel of John. Concerning the Pharisees, he says, these people, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. This is how Paul puts it. If I was a man pleaser, I would not be a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, be a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. Your first priority is to please God. And you see, our Lord here on this occasion disappointed the people. Friends, sometimes your elders, the leaders of this church, lovingly, sometimes in a godly sense, gently disappoint you. Which parent amongst us here, from time to time, does not disappoint their children? They want to go one way, but you, as their parents, you know this is wrong, and you put your foot down. At least that's what you're supposed to do with the government passing different laws these days. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you get my point. You get my point. Which amongst you here in managerial positions sometimes do not have to disappoint your workers in a godly sense? Not because it's an ego trip, not because you enjoy doing it, but because it is necessary. You see, a national Christian leader recently changed his opinion on marriage. And you can read it, you can listen to it on premiere. And one of the reasons he gave was, I just could not find it in my heart to disappoint people. But you see here, Christ disappointed the people. He stuck to his God-given mission. He stuck to his God-given assignment. Even those who are close to you will try to talk you out of your mission and your assignment. You remember Jesus when he was in Caesarea Philippi? He says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And the disciples respond, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, bold Peter, my kind of guy, bold Peter, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And Jesus began to speak to them about the cross. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Now listen. Come on. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you do not serve the things of God, but NIV again, you do not mind the things of God. You're not interested in the things of God. Now look at that instance. Peter seemed to be genuinely concerned about Jesus' welfare. At least that's how you and I would interpret it. But Jesus saw that it was satanically inspired. So how did it all 
go wrong. If you read on, you will find out that the same people who were shouting, Hosanna, 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 days later, they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The changeability of the people. This goes to show us that we should not place our confidence in men. Men are bound to disappoint you. The arm of flesh will always fail you. And so, because the people were disappointed, they jumped ship. Don't we all know that? Those of us who are leaders in different contexts, we have people who say, Brother, press on. We are behind you. All the way. We've got your back covered. And one day you turn around and you're like, where's everybody? Where are all the Hosannas? But they all affirmed your loyalty. Even the disciples. We will be with you even to the very end. But in the day of trouble, they all fled away. So folks, you might as well Please, God, since the people will disappoint you regardless. You see, if you displease God, you lose. But if you lose with the people, eventually you would also please God. Sorry, I said that wrong. If you please God, not only will you win with God, but eventually you will win with the people because God power will be manifested on your behalf. He will authenticate you. Uh, how did it all go wrong? The people had a false idea, a false notion of Jesus' mission. And I say to you, Beacon Church, I say to the elders of Beacon Church, preach the whole counsel of God. Hold nothing back. The people had a partial knowledge of Jesus' mission, and we see what that led to. The Bible says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So preach the full counsel of God. Let me ask you, church. Why do you worship Christ? Is it that you worship him for what you can gain out of it? Or do you worship the Jesus as he is presented in the New Testament? Is he a Jesus that is just there to meet your felt needs, not a Jesus that places demands on you? We must preach the full counsel of God. The people taught as Christ rode in into Jerusalem, he would have a showdown with the Romans. Contrary to popular expectation and opinion, expectation, Jesus Christ went to the temple. And guess what he did? He cleared the temple of the marketplace. <coughs> he cleared the temple of worldliness. He cleared the temple of sin. 
the triumphant entry resulted in Jesus cleansing the temple. Now we move on to the grand presentation. Remember, this is Jesus presenting himself as a king. He is presenting himself to his people as a king. Days later, we see the official response. Pilate, at Jesus' trials, a ton of crowns was put on his head, and Pilate presented him, this is Jesus, your king. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews, and the people shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And you all know what was Pilate's response, paraphrasing, using some sanctified imagination here. Oh, you are a king, are you? Since you try to lift yourself up, since you try to elevate yourself above we Romans, we will give you a throne befitting your dignity. You want to be lifted up above all men? We will grant you your wish. And do you know what the wish was? And do you know what the throne of Christ was? The cross. Look at the divine irony. Because Jesus Christ humbled himself unto death upon the cross, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above all names, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And do you know what that name was that God gave him on that occasion? Lord. Friends, Christ died upon the cross, and in the inscription was written, Jesus, the King of the Jews. He died in mockery. Your sin brought him shame. Your sin brought him pain. Your sin brought him death. Now some of you would say, well, Ted, this does not sound like a triumphant entry. But you see, Christ rose again from the dead, having conquered all, having conquered Satan, having conquered sin, having conquered death. He rose again. Amazing. And you know how many people followed Christ? Twelve. In Acts, the apostle, how many of his followers? 120. In Acts, sorry, in Corinthians, the 15th chapter, you know how many disciples, again, he appeared to? 500. Many of his followers followed him no more. From the human perspective, the mission of Jesus was a colossal disaster. But from God's point of view, redemption was accomplished. It is forever written, it is finished. 
So do not judge with human eyes. Beacon Church, do not despise the days of little beginnings. Do not despise smallness. Do not despise that which is ordinary. Do not despise that which is uncommon and unusual. God's way is not your way. The call this morning is to be faithful. Do you know how we measure success? It's not by largeness. It's not by numbers. It's by your obedience to the word of God. You take care of the depth of your ministry and let God take care of the breadth of your ministry. Folks, if you're faithful in that which is little, then God will commit unto you eternal riches. Don't be fooled by bigness. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter, on that day, many will say, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demo, demo, demons in your name? And Jesus said, I will say unto them, get thee behind me, for I never knew you. Notice, I never knew you. Not that I knew you, and you walked away from me, said, I never knew you. Why? You are workers of iniquity. So be faithful. Now, let me conclude. Let me conclude. Jesus Christ is coming back again, and he would appear in the clouds in glory and in majesty. All the nations will see him, even those that have pierced him. And on that day when the Lord appears, he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will arise and those who are still alive will be caught up and we will meet the Lord in the air. So comfort one another with these words. And on that day when the Lord shall appear, he will display us as his prized possession. We will be the envy of the world. And those of you who have this hope, purify yourself. Keep yourself pure. Put on your robes. Do not let the day overtake you by surprise. And on that day when our Savior shall appear and take us home, Hosanna shall be our song. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And with one voice we will all cry out, our Savior reigns. Salvation belongs to him. God bless you all. Amen.